All right, we're diving right back in. We went from chapter 7 last week because it was Easter, building your house on the rock. Now we're going to dive right back into Matthew chapter 5. And church, I'm committed to the Sermon on the Mount. Get in Matthew 5. Start getting in Matthew chapter 6. Start studying. Start reading God's Word and letting it change you through the week. Getting filled up through the week. Fill up with the right stuff. Not the wrong stuff. Fill up with the right stuff. Got a good friend who put diesel in a gas engine. It was the wrong stuff. I mean, put gas in a diesel engine. It doesn't work. Things go bad. When we are not filling up with God's Word, let me encourage you, you are filling up with something else. Whether you know it or not, you are. You're full of something. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) What are you full of? Be careful who you ask. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. And let me tell you, this is so challenging. It's a word my wife loves to use. It's challenging. It's a good word. It's challenging. But let me tell you, it's liberating. God wants to set you free today, and, and I want you to lock in with me for just a few moments. Lock in with me. And because Jesus, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he did it to liberate our hearts, not to scold us. He's telling us the way to freedom. Every single passage that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount takes a chisel to our heart. Has anybody felt like that the last few, few weeks, few months? Knocking off the stony parts of your heart? And just as an encouragement, there's no safe place to hide when you're studying the Sermon on the Mount. There's nowhere to get away. You can't get away. So don't. Quit getting away and lock in. This is Jesus' teaching. It isn't to make life hard. It's to make life better. Abundant. Because you begin to live in the unity of the kingdom. We all stand up with me and let's read this together. I'm just going to read. You just stand with me as we take in God's word. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the... Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Father, in Jesus' name, let your word go in. We open up our hearts. I just encourage you, church, just with you and the Lord right now, just say, I open up my heart to you. Let your word come in. Just ask you, Lord, to block any hindrance that would, that would cause that word not to get in. The weeds, the stones, everything, the heat that may try to keep this word from coming in. Lord, I just rebuke it. I just speak to it to be removed and cast in the sea, that we would receive your word, we would receive your will, and Lord, that we would commit to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. This one starts just like all the others have started. Jesus says, you've heard it's been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Right? Have you noticed this from all these temptations that we've been doing? Each one of them has said, you've heard it said. Just like the previous temptations, he's making a contrast between what the religious leaders of that day were teaching about these Bible verses and these truths 
And he is trying to show us what God's, where God's heart was when this was actually spoken in the Old Testament. Jesus is here to reveal the Father. And you know, so many times, and I want you to catch a phrase here, so many times the Pharisees majored on a minor. They didn't focus on the main point. They grabbed hold of a minor point that they liked and made it major. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken a truth and just taken the little part that you like and we're going to live on that and leave out the rest? That's what they've done here. They've majored on a minor and they've missed the spirit and the bigger reason for what God was trying to say. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. A very well-known biblical principle from the Old Testament. And it was a law that was given to Moses to be used within the court system. And he gave it to the judges so that people wouldn't overdo revenge. So that they, would, they could limit revenge. And Jesus is saying that the Pharisees completely missed what this glorious biblical principle was about. And I want you to know this principle is still in effect. It's still good today. Everybody say amen. He said, let me tell you fully where God's heart was here. Because the rule was set there to help us solve personal conflicts between people. And in that way to help us to limit revenge. Jesus is saying there's more than limiting revenge in its outward actions. God actually wants you to be liberated from a spirit of revenge even at the heart level. Jesus is after your heart. He has come at you with everything. With his word, with his spirit, with his life. He laid down his life for your heart. For all of you. And Jesus here is, I believe we're going to get to a root today if you'll allow us. How many of you know you got, you got roots? <laughs> Not talking about your hair either, you got those too. <laughs> but God wants to do more than just restrain your physical activity in overdoing acts of revenge. He wants to liberate you from the heart level. And that's where we start. He starts with one big main principle. And then in this, these scriptures, verse 38 through 42, he gives four illustrations of that one principle. Here's the principle. He says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Wow. I don't get that. That makes no sense to me. Very controversial. What does it mean? And what does it not mean? Don't resist an evil person. And I believe this has been taught and has been taken to a non-biblical, illogical conclusion. A rigid, mechanical way that all evil must be allowed and that we can resist it all under all circumstances. And that is not what he's talking about. Hallelujah. He gives us four different examples of how this principle is to be walked out according to what was on his mind when he gave this principle. So we need the four illustrations, the four pictures in context of this principle to be able to understand the principle. We can't just take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because we'll go out here and poke people's eyes out. Nobody needs that. I don't want my eye poked out. I don't want to lose teeth. Have you ever lost a tooth? It's no fun. There is no getting it back. You can get a false thing. That doesn't work very good. I want my teeth. I want my eyes. And I don't want you poking at my eyes. 
Everybody say amen. Thank you. But we've got to understand this and understand it through the lens of what God was saying. So we need the principles to, we need the illustrations to apply the principle. That's why if we go back, this word, but, is there. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But, everybody say but. Good, good one. For example, and I, if someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. This was not a commandment to let somebody physically abuse you. It's not physical at all. It's not physical uh, violence. A slap on the cheek. What a slap on the cheek was an insult. It was an insult. He's talking about being abused verbally, not physically. If somebody insults you, and he goes on to say an evil man, meaning this person means it. How many of you know sometimes you get insulted and the person doesn't mean it? They even love you. They didn't mean it the way you took it. It just, it just came out wrong or we received it wrong. God, Jesus is going on to say, this guy means it. This is a real insult. You've identified this correctly. That hurts your feelings. It's real. Jesus is saying, okay, an evil man. His motives aren't good. He is trying to hurt you. He's saying insulting things today in, in, to you. Instead of insulting him back, retaliating, rather just give him some grace and turn your cheek and receive another insult from him if that's what he wants to give you. Now, sometimes I'd rather you just slap me in the face. Let me turn my face and slap me again. But he's saying when someone insults you, don't retaliate. If they want to do it again, let them do it again. Now, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to give you, the Lord is here to give you some help. The thing is, is that we don't insult back and we don't get stirred up by it. Again, Jesus has got to get your heart here. If he doesn't get your heart here, you're not going to succeed in taking an insult. So he's talking about the spirit. He's talking about your heart. He's not even talking about the insult. It's a pretty big principle. Jesus isn't scolding them for answering back. He's teaching them how they can be liberated from the spirit of revenge. We've got to learn to operate in the opposite spirit. If someone insults you, don't resist them. Don't insult back. Don't retaliate. Be gracious. Keep your heart open to them. Don't believe their insult. Do you hear me? That doesn't mean believe the insult. You're just not going to respond back. Have you ever heard someone say to you, that doesn't dignify a response? Someone insults me, that's, the re- that's not the response that should come out of my mouth. That's the response that should come into my head. This is the time where I don't respond. Because this is going to be bad. Turn the other cheek. And then he goes on to the next example. And it's a legal example. Verse 40. He says, if someone sues you to take away your tunic. And you know what that's compared to? That's compared to our shirt. Let him also have your cloak which is compared to a coat. He's saying if someone sues you for your shirt, give him your shirt and give him your coat. Now, how how much would you say, on average, is a shirt worth? Let's just say, just go with me, 50 bucks? How much would a good coat be? 100 bucks? 50 bucks. Somebody sues you for 50 bucks. 
Now, he's not talking about a major lawsuit where someone's coming after maybe your company. It's a small claims court issue. He's saying if somebody sues you for $50, which nobody does, right? Give him 100 Give him twice of what they ask. The main thing that you, get, that you need to grasp from this passage is the smallness of the offense. It's small. If you saw the title, if you look in your bulletin, letting little things go. It's a small offense. It's hurt you. It's bothered you. It's stirred up your pride. It may have hurt your feelings, but it didn't damage you in a practical, substantial way. In reality, it's a small thing. And this lawsuit is very small, but it's legal. They have legal right. He's saying if somebody wants in a petty, petty sense, sense to take you to court for 50 bucks, give them 100. Don't resist them and stand up and say, it's the principle of the matter. Nobody's going to do this to me. Have you ever done that over something so small? I have. Nobody's doing this to me. The Lord says, give them double. You know what he's saying? Get rid of it. Get it off of you. Don't carry this thing away around. Get it off. It's going to cost you a lot more than a hundred bucks. Get it off. Don't get mixed up in it. Get yourself out of it. Now, if you take this out of context and somebody's trying to take your $1 million corporation or a billion dollars, he's not saying you have to give up that. He's talking about your shirt and your coat. The smallness is the point of this scripture. The smallness, the pettiness of. Let me ask you, how many shirts have you got in your closet? Give them your shirt. Give them your shirt. Oh, but you don't know. This is a cool shirt. Really? Give them your shirt and your coat and let them leave and get out. I don't need that person. I don't need that situation to live in my house. How many of you would pay a hundred bucks to get rid of a problem you've got? I will tell you that when that problem showed up at your doorstep, you had a chance to pay for it then. A cheap price. I'm going to show you how to pay for it. All right? We've got to understand it's a small thing. Verse 41, another legal situation. says, whoever compels you to walk a mile, go to. Now, most translations say, use the word, who forces you to walk a mile. You know, it's common knowledge back in this day that when the Roman, the Roman army, when, when the Romans, the Roman army was occupying Israel, one of their laws stated that a Roman soldier had the right to grab anybody they wanted and say, I want you to carry my luggage. I want you to carry my gear. I want you to carry my stuff for a mile. It was the law. Now, that soldier could not ask that man to give him a whole day's worth of work. He could tell, he could tell them they could I need you to walk a mile for me. And it was common knowledge. The people understood what Jesus was talking about. But let me ask you something. Okay, somebody asked you to walk a mile. How long does it take you to walk a mile? Most of you. Fifteen minutes? Seven minutes? That's some fast walk. 
That's some fast walking. You ever watch speed walkers? They are the funniest looking people ever. They are so funny looking. Um, Someone's asking for 15 minutes? Give them 30. Give them 30. They have the authority. They have the legal right. They're asking. You have to do it. Why not just go ahead and give it to them and give them a little bit more? Give them 30. Go beyond. This is not an unqualified statement that you do double for anyone that asks you in any circumstance. That's not what they're talking about. That would be impossible. You couldn't afford it. You couldn't fulfill it. and You'd never get your calling done. He's talking about walking a mile. It was a legal rule. You know what it is? It's a 15-minute investment. But he said, give him 30 minutes. It's not going to cost you too much. It might injure your project. It might frustrate you, the inconvenience. You know, they really annoy you. And this is what Jesus was saying. But Jesus, you didn't see how he asked me. You didn't see that smirk on his face when he asked me to do it. You didn't hear the tone he used when he asked me to do it. Man, he's annoying. Jesus said, do it. It's a small thing. And it doesn't really cost you that much. It doesn't cost you that much now, but if you don't do it, it's going to cost you a lot. Jesus is talking about the internal dynamics that will happen inside of you if you allow this natural tendency to be bothered. And if it continues to grow and not be identified and not dealt with, Jesus says you will never be free. That's what he's talking about. Operating in the opposite spirit of our natural tendency to be annoyed, to be offended, to retaliate, to say no. How dare you bother me with that request? $50 lawsuit, are you kidding me? Nobody's going to do that to me. Jesus said no. Wrong direction for your life. Your direction is nobody's going to do that to me. You just wait and see. Your story, you know what your story is? You love God. He loves you. You're a part of his kingdom. You are his servant. That's your story, not how tough you are and how good you are at getting out of stuff. That's not your story. Every one of us, due to our fallen world, inherited from our great, 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 great grandfather Adam that we have a natural tendency to be easily bothered and bothered regularly. I mean, day after day, truly insignificant issues that trouble us. And Jesus is saying, if you don't address that, it will grow and it will cut off so much good of your life. Then finally, we go to the last illustration, which is verse 42. He says, now to him who asks you. Now to him who asks you. You know who the him is? You know who he is? He's that enemy. Same guy. What's he done? He's insulted you. And you turn your cheek and he did it again. Then he sued you. Then he asked you to walk a mile. He didn't ask you. He told you to. And now he's saying, oh, and by the way, can I borrow your stuff? I need some help from you. Will you help me? What you've got I need. Now, have you got anybody in your life that annoys you? That's who he's talking about. 
That's who he's talking about. You say, but Lord, him? You know what the Lord says? Do it. And do it with the right spirit. Do it with the right spirit. He's teaching them not to retaliate with insults. Verse 39 and then verse 40 and 41 and 42, these examples are exhorting and encouraging them to cooperate. And the key word is cooperate with small demands. Cooperate with small demands. Real demands on people and in two occasions had a legal right to make the demand. Jesus is saying don't resist. Don't pay back. Don't prove that you won't be moved. The point is, with each of our fallenness, we have a natural tendency to resist. Anything that inconveniences us, that intrudes on our schedules, this negative emotion, I can have many names for it, but the name I want to give you today, I want you to catch, is defensiveness. And let me tell you, I'm a pro at it. I can get so defensive. Someone criticizes me, and it's usually the people that criticize me are people that love me. They don't mean bad, but I get defensive. Have y'all been watching the uh, basketball games last night? You know, championships are won on defense. But defensiveness, when the Lord is trying to change your heart, will take you in the wrong direction. And Jesus is saying, the root here is defensiveness. This idea that says, they're wrong and I'm right. What they're asking me to do, they're wrong and I'm right. They're wrong and I'm right and I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Defensiveness. And you know what? We come by it honestly. And we're good at it. We've perfected this one, right? Something comes our way, insults us. They're wrong, I'm right. I don't have to bless them. I don't even have to be nice to them. I'll insult them back. I'm right and they're wrong. It's a situation of their heart. How many of you are good at comebacks? How many of you are terrible at comebacks? Listen, don't be good at it. Let it go. There's nothing like somebody saying something to you that didn't mean it, but you come back with something so hard that they'll never forget it. And I think, man, that was a good one. And then I'm like, ooh. And then I see a look on their face the next time I see them. They're trying to deal with that. The stupid thing I said. And I didn't even mean it. I didn't even mean it. But I was angry. And you brought it out of me. How many of you have gotten, put, have gotten backed into a corner and you said something you shouldn't have said? You know what the Lord is saying to do? Get that shut. Turn your cheek and take another one. I died on the cross for you. I've already paid this price, and I'm going to help you through this. Just don't retaliate. You retaliate, you're going to have to walk through that retaliation. Don't do it. Jesus says, you know what he says? I got your back. I'm going to work all things for good. Get your mouth shut. Get your spirit turned around. That's not your enemy. That person over there is not your enemy. There's a spirit trying to tear you apart. Don't let them. 
We get bothered easily. You know, we, we live on average 70 years. It's starting to increase a little bit in our lives. And you know, in those 70 years, we can have a few major setbacks. Big ones. I mean big ones. You may have some, you may have less, but you're going to have some setbacks. Those negative setbacks, usually maybe two or three, won't hurt you as bad as 10,000 negative bothered emotions that we choose to ignore and to let grow. It will destroy the quality of our life far more than even a couple big setbacks will. And we don't even realize it's happening. So many times people take this verse and they make it so high and unreachable. They don't resist anybody. They, they give everybody everything if they sue you. It's so unreachable that nobody does it. Who could let an evil person assault their life in any way they want? Physically, economically, spiritually, emotionally, with never resisting. And what they do is they just send this verse away. Jesus says, no, you've missed it. I'm not talking if you're in an abusive, physical, abusive situation. You are not supposed to sit there and take that. You need help. And if someone's using Scripture to make you take that, it's wrong. That is not what Jesus is talking about. We can't cross these scriptures out. Jesus is talking about the small things in our lives. Those little things not detected and dealt with by repenting and learning to op- operate in the, and learning to act in the opposite spirit will destroy the quality of your spiritual life. It will destroy relationships. You know, you can still be saved, you can still be married and have kids and have a decent life, but you're living with all this stuff. Small things, bugged all the time. How many of you, and don't raise your hand, are irritated all the time at everybody, at everything? Jesus is not trying to give us some undoable, unsuccessful plan. He's giving us something that is doable. We can handle this, and I'm telling you, if you can grab hold of this, it will change your life. So many times you're in the workplace and your boss says, I need you to do this right here again, and I need you to do it the long way. And what's the long way? Another 30 minutes. It's not the end of your life, but you grab hold of that and you get resentful towards your boss, and it it lasts with you for three weeks. Something that took you a half hour longer. You know what the Lord says? Do it. Just do it and get it done. Don't procrastinate. Take care of it and get it behind you. You'll forget about it and you'll be ready to start blessing him again. Just walk the mile. Let's look at Martha for just a minute. I'm I'm almost done. Mary and Martha, we all know the story. Martha, the older sister, of course. Mary, the younger sister, and you know, they're close friends with Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus was close with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, even socially. But Jesus was at their house, at Mary and Martha's house, and you know, Martha was distracted. And I believe Martha lived a distracted life. I don't think this is the first time Martha had been distracted. Right? I believe she lives distracted. And I believe by, na- by nature, we, most of us do this. We're distracted. Some of us address it. Let me say it this way. Some of you address it and deal with it. But other people, they just kind of put up with it as a human weakness. 
They, they don't think of it as perilous. They think of it just as a little small thing, and it winds up being damaging to them. So we got Martha. She's bothered. And she complains to the Lord, says, Jesus, don't you see my sister? She's left me in the kitchen to do all the work. Tell her to help me. Your kids ever come and do that? We say, we're going to empty the dishwasher. All of a sudden, nobody cared two seconds ago, but now all of a sudden every child wants to know where every other child is. And they'll say it, we're so-and-so. Well, they don't ever help anyway. Where are they? What are they doing? And I'm like, just be quiet and just start. Don't worry about it. Walk a mile. <laughs> Walk a mile for me. Just start unloading. But, but where's, where, where are they? It's natural. We get asked. We get our buttons pushed and we want to say, wait a minute. What about that person? What's Martha done? Wait a minute, Jesus. Mary's not doing her job. And really, I'm the older sister. It's my responsibility. I'm really doing you a favor telling you she's messing up. And you're, you're Jesus Christ. You're the son of the living God. You need to know. I, I don't think you really realize she's missing it over here. Jesus, I recognize you as the son of the living God, but not right here. You're missing this. Jesus, look, she's not working. And Jesus responds and gives her the shock of her life. I don't think she would have asked Jesus had she known the response. How many of you wished you hadn't asked a question before? Especially when you're answered by Jesus. So there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he looks at her. But when he responds, he responds tender. He's not scolding her. He's trying to enlighten her if her ears are open. And he's saying, Martha, let me tell you about your emotional makeup. And I believe we have a tendency to do this. He says, Martha, you're bothered by so many things. You're just bothered. Now, church, put yourself in Martha's shoes. Jesus is saying, you're bothered by so much. And not just a couple things. You're bothered by everything. Mary bothers you. Lazarus bothers you. Your life bothers you. Mary, you bother you. You're bothered. The neighbors, everything. And it's not going away by itself. What Jesus is not doing, he is not contrasting a prayer life and a life of service. Jesus is not correcting her because she's serving. He's correcting her because she's serving with the wrong spirit. Do you know that Jesus dignified serving and the servant spirit as the highest virtue in the kingdom? So why would he come down on service? He's not coming down on service. He's coming down on Martha's heart. Here's Jesus sitting in the, in the living room and Mary's go, Martha's going, but the sandwiches haven't been cut. The napkins aren't turned exactly right. And Jesus is saying, Martha, go sit down. He wants, uh, Jesus wants to talk to you. That's what he's correcting, not a servant's spirit. Martha thinks Mary is the main problem in her life. Mary's not helping. Jesus turns the focus. Jesus says, Martha, the fact that Mary isn't helping, what, what Mary is doing and isn't doing is not the point. We'll deal with that another day. Jesus is saying, what Mary is doing and isn't doing is an issue, but it's a secondary issue. 
the primary problem in your life, Martha, is not what your sister does and doesn't do. It's where your heart is. It's what your emotions cause you to do and what you continue to do in it. Your boss, your situations are not the problem. It's your heart. You'll get a different boss. You'll get different situations. But if your heart doesn't change, you're going to continue to fight it. And Jesus says, stop fighting it. When you're in these situations, acknowledge it. Stop and think. Let the Holy Spirit lead you through the situation with the right spirit. So someone slaps you on the cheek, an insult. Don't insult them back. You know, and so many times when people insult us, they don't even mean it. We're married to them. They're our kids. They're our parents. They're our siblings. They're people that like us. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, let me just give you a little bit of encouragement. Someone gives you an encouragement that might be taken as criticism. What do you do? You said, well, how did you mean that? I don't receive that at all. That was nasty. And the person says, I didn't mean it that way. I'm just trying to help you. Defensiveness. No, I shall stand. I'm strong. I can do this. You will not hurt me. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Slow down. Wrong spirit. When did Jesus ever respond like that? Never. Never. You know, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, when Jesus was insulted. It says, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten them, but commit, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Do you know what happened when Jesus got insulted? He committed his heart to God. Do you know what he said? God, that hurt. But I give it to you because you know how to respond to it. You know how to take care of it. And I trust you, Lord, to address that when the time is right. And I'll release control. I'll release that hurtful thing to you because I know I can trust you. He didn't respond back. He committed himself to God. You can spend your life building blocks of foundation through bitterness, through hurt, through retaliation, through revenge, through unforgiveness. Or you can build your foundation, your heart, your marriage, your life on forgiveness, on love, on God. And you can live completely free. Can you see the kind of houses that we're building when we're building them on defensiveness? Let me tell you, you're going you're gonna to get a wall up so big nobody can get through. Not even God. So many times our heart gets so hard, nothing can penetrate it. Only God can get it. He can soften the hard heart. Stop building that house. Stop building that house in your marriage of defensiveness. And church, I don't have it together. I battle. I battle with my own heart and being defensive. It's hard to turn the cheek. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead, He will lead. And He will lead you out of captivity. And he will lead you into the promised land. I promise. We all pray with me. We all stand up. 
just ask you, just close your eyes for just a minute. We all just walk through this with me just for a moment. Someone's insulted you. I just encourage you this morning to just let our response be, Lord, I am easily insulted. Thank you, Lord. That's what I'm focusing on. I'm going to bless them. I am going to let go of it and receive a blessing from now on. Lord, I see my tendency to be insulted. Help me. Someone has a $50 issue against you. A small issue. Lord, help me give them 100 Help me not have to wait three weeks for a court date. And I don't mean a literal court date. I mean you're going through a battle with someone over something, over nothing. Help me to recognize my defensiveness. Lord, you are our defender. Father, help me. Someone is asking you for 15 minutes. Father, help me give them 30. Maybe crazy busy work, unnecessary requirements that make no sense. Father, I will do it. And I will do it with the right heart. Maybe it's your spouse. Why does he or she always want me to do whatever? Fill in the blank. Just do it. It's way more costly to not do it. Or maybe someone wants to borrow from you. They want your help. The Lord says, help the guy. This can change your heart, church. Change your life. Holy Spirit, we say yes to you. We say yes. I want to invite you right now that anyone that would say, you know, I know this is right in my heart, but this is so hard. I feel pain. I feel confusion. I feel stuck. Any of these emotions, you may say, Pastor Paul, I feel pain and confused, and it hurts, and I can't see it clearly. I just want to ask you, would you give somebody two minutes to pray with you? Just two minutes to help you hold your arms up. You've got a battle going on down in the valley. And the Lord says, you need somebody to help you hold your arms up. As long as your arms are up, you're going to win. The Lord says, I want to help you. There is victory to be had in this battle. But it's only going to become through Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to just give two minutes to prayer? Those that are praying, come on down. Maybe you have a physical need or a financial need or a family need and you need prayer. Would you just give the Lord two minutes? Two minutes to say I humble myself before you, God, and I trust you to be able to help me in what I'm going through. Just open the altar right now. Maybe you don't even know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you would like to make that step today. Step out. Give the Lord two minutes as we sing.